Evening, church. Thank you, Grace, and good evening, church. Lovely to be with you all this evening. Uh, my name's Rob, and I'm one of the, as you know, one of the students here from BST, so absolute <laughs> pleasure to be uh, opening God's Word with you, and also what a pleasure to be in a building like this. Isn't it phenomenal? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah, yep. Sorry. It's in a folder called Matthew 10. Probably makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, nevertheless, we'll get, we'll get cracking. Um, but before we begin uh, working through our text today, it might be wise to quickly refresh ourselves with the context of this passage. Uh, the disciples had just been summoned by Jesus into mission. They were to go to Israel and proclaim the good news to them. Uh, they were given authority over unclean spirits and an ability to heal every disease and every affliction. The 12 disciples also given instruction on what they should bring and how they should go about their mission. Now, that was the content of last week's sermon, but this week we, we see a shift within chapter 10. Jesus goes about sharing about the task to sharing about the costs and rewards associated with this task. You see, Jesus begins this chapter by sharing the authority and power given to the disciples, and then he tells these same disciples of the persecution and suffering that will befall them, including from those in authority. Jesus goes, to, goes about sharing the victory that they'll have over unclean and impure spirits to the hatred they will receive because of their faith. So as we prepare to work through a, a hard yet rewarding passage this evening, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth and how it nourishes our soul. And Lord, we thank you for all the parts of the Bible, the parts that are uh, an encouragement to read and also the parts that are challenging to read. So Lord, we pray that as we go through uh, a rewarding yet challenging passage that you may be with us, that you may open our, our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear your word this evening. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Uh, North Korea, Somalia, Yemen, Eritrea, and Libya. Now, what do these five countries have in common? Well, according to Open Doors, a ministry that works with the persecuted churches around the world, these five countries are currently the most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian. Take Somalia, for example. An insurgent group called Al-Shabaab has currently declared its, its goal of eradicating Christianity from the country. If a Muslim background, believer, a Muslim background believer is found out, if he converts to Christianity and is found out by this mob, there's a high chance that this person will be killed on the spot. And look, if this mob doesn't find out about them, then their family might. And if the family finds out about them, they'll be insulted, they'll be mocked, and possibly even killed by those that they love. But, the, but then we look at the Western world. We, we look at our context here in Australia, and comparatively, we seem quite sheltered from persecution. Uh, stories and reports about, from countries mentioned earlier, it seems almost impossible for us to get our heads around because we seem so removed from these contexts. So when we read passages like ours, we feel almost kept at arm's length from what Jesus is saying. We can feel distant from the, from the promise 
of persecution and hatred for the sake of the gospel. But this really shouldn't be the case. Uh, You see, a little bit closer here to home, the average Aussie's approach to Christianity has shifted dramatically over the past decades. Uh, For example, Christians have gone from being the moral good guys to the bad guys. Back in the day, even if you weren't religious yourself, you still respected the work uh, that your church did and you still respected your Christian neighbour. But today, many Christians don't just think that churches are outdated, they think that they're dangerous. They don't just think they're irrelevant, but they think that they're harmful. Sometimes it's because we in the church haven't followed Jesus' commands very well But for the most part, it seems that it's because the culture and society has shifted so far away from Christian values. Now, this shift has happened so quickly, which has left really many Christians feeling confused, not knowing how to engage the world with our faith. And for others, it's even meant being publicly condemned or shamed for their Christian faith, being stood down from their jobs or disowned by families. Now, why am I sharing this? I guess there's two reasons why I'm sharing this. Firstly, there can be a temptation to look at passages like ours today and say, nah, that doesn't apply to us. That was just for the disciples. That was just for back then. Because they were taking the gospel to Israel for the first time and Israel were hard-hearted. Now, while there is some truth to that, if we just look back in church history, we can see Christians in the church being persecuted for the last 2,000 years. So this does apply to us as well. And this leads me to my second reason. Uh, Persecution in Australia and the West, it's alive and well. But here lies the difference. Often we think of persecution as physical suffering. But there's more to persecution than that. As we'll see from our passage today, followers of Jesus, they'll be slandered, accused, and hated. And these are things that don't necessarily involve physical pain. Therefore, we shouldn't distance ourselves from such passages, but instead we should pay close attention to the words of Jesus for us today. Now, as a way of working through our passage this evening, we'll be looking at the following two points. In verse 16 to 33, we'll be looking at the comfort and persecution. And in verses 34 to 42, we will see the reception after division. And by the end of this passage, I hope that my main point becomes clear. Even though persecution will come, we can find comfort in the promises of our loving Saviour. So let's begin with point one. As I mentioned earlier, the context of this passage is to do with Jesus sending out the 12 disciples. And of particular interest is how he is sending them out. Uh, Look with me at verse 16 if you have your Bibles open. Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. You see, the, the great shepherd Jesus is sending out his disciples for the work of mission. But not as a lion not as a bear, not as some great, amazing animal, but as a sheep. An animal that's known for having virtually no defensive skill or defensive ability. Now, because of this, 
Jesus instructs his disciples with a simile. Let's have a look at uh, the rest of verse 16 or 17, wherever it is. Uh, Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Uh, You see, because of their vulnerability, Jesus gives his disciples some wisdom as to how they are to proclaim the good news, even when they're in the company of wolves. They are to be as shrewd as serpents, meaning they are to be wise, subtle, and crafty like a snake. We see Jesus himself display this craftiness through the Gospels, don't we? Have you ever noticed how many times religious leaders come up to Jesus and they throw him a curly question? They're trying to catch him out. And how does Jesus respond? Well, he often responds by using parables, doesn't he? And these stories are so powerful that by the end of the parable, the question has been flipped around. Instead of Jesus asking, the, uh, instead of uh, this person asking Jesus the question, Jesus asked them a question, and they're forced to agree with him. However, at the same time, we are to be as innocent as doves, showing Christ's likeness in all situations, so the gospel won't be hindered by our actions. Now, even with this wisdom, even with this innocence, Christ's disciples will still be persecuted. For example, let's look at three sets of verses, 17 to 18. Beware of them because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. Verse 21 to 22, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then verses 24 to 25, a disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. Uh, You see, within these verses, we see that persecution for followers of Jesus will be inevitable. They will be judged by those in authority. They will be delivered over to death by their own family. They will be hated by all. They will be slandered. And this is quite shocking, isn't it? Uh, From the government to the synagogue to the intimacy of the family unit, it seems that no place in society, no place in this world will be free for them. And why? Well, one reason, as Jesus says, is because of me. Because we choose to follow after Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, because we choose to share the gospel with those in the world, those we, we live with, those that we know, this will inevitably bring about persecution. If not from one area of life, then surely another. Now, look, I don't think a passage like this is meant to make us think that every little setback in life or every little mild inconvenience is us being persecuted. Maybe that colleague of yours that got the dream promotion instead of you, maybe they're just more qualified than you. Maybe that person who cut you off in traffic didn't do it because of your Jesus fish bumper sticker. Maybe it's because they just didn't see you or you're going too slow. One of the two. But what a passage like this is meant to do is remove any shock or surprise when persecution comes. Because it 
will come. We're promised it. And it's not because God's punishing you. It's not because you're a bad Christian. It's because the world hates Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, the world will also share that hate to us as well. Thankfully, even though persecution will come, we see in our passage today a number of great comforts that believers can have in the face of persecution. We see in verses 19 to 20 that followers of Jesus will be given words to say by the Holy Spirit. Let's look at this together, verses 19 to 20. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour, because it isn't you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father is speaking through you. What a comfort this is for us today. When we're confronted, when we're accused, when we're slandered or hated because of our faith, or when we share the gospel with others, we have a comfort that God's Holy Spirit will be speaking on our behalf. And we see this very thing occur in the book of Acts. Peter and John had just healed a man, and the crowd that was around them was absolutely amazed. And as the crowd gathered around Peter and John, they boldly proclaimed the gospel to them. Now, when the Jewish leaders found out about this, they captured them and they, they took them aside. But Peter and John weren't afraid of them. No, they, they still proclaimed the gospel boldly. And they told them, no, we will keep telling the world about Jesus, despite the risk it might be to us. You see, this is the same Peter who three times denied Jesus. This is the same Peter who had little faith. You see, it wasn't Peter or John that was the source of this boldness or the, or the words they were speaking, but it was the empowerment of the Holy Spirit within them. And what a great encouragement this is for us here today. When we go to share the gospel, when a negative spotlight is put onto our faith, whether at work or university or whatever circle of life that might be, when we are confronted because of our faith, whatever the situation, we can take great comfort knowing that God's helper is with us, providing us with words to say in the most difficult of times. Now, this doesn't mean that we can go into situations blindly. No, as First Peter tells us, that we should be ready to give a defense for the hope that's within us. But what it does mean is that we ought not to fear about the questions that might get posed to us. We ought not to fear about the rejection we might face. We ought not to fear about their reception to the good news of the gospel. No, we shouldn't because we have the Holy Spirit working within us. Not only will we be given words to say, but we also encouraged not to fear. In fact, this is repeated three times within verses 26 to 33. In verse 26, Jesus encourages his followers to not be afraid. Verse 28, he tells them, don't fear. And in verse 31, he reminds them not to be afraid. What words of comfort we have here. Now, instead of just telling his disciples not to fear, Jesus explains to them the reasons why they ought not to fear. The first occurrence we see is in verse 26 to 27. Let's have a read of that. Therefore, don't be afraid of them, since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered, and nothing hidden that won't be made known. 
What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. What the disciples have been told in the dark, what they've been told in private, they are to proclaim it to the light. They are to proclaim it for the whole world to hear. And they should have no fear in doing so because they are proclaiming the very words of Jesus. Now, the second mention, not the fear, is found in verses 28 to 30, which start off by saying the following. Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, look, the fear of death is something that uh, all of us uh, face at, at least one point in our life or continuously throughout our whole lives. And I heard a statistic the other day, uh, one out of every one person will die. And yet our odds aren't too great on that score. But in passages like this, Jesus is giving us something even more fearful, even scarier than death itself. Fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. You know, an earthly death can seem terrifying enough, but in the grand scheme of eternity, it's nothing when compared to our eternal condition. And this isn't to downplay death, but here Jesus highlights for us the eternal perspective that we can so easily forget. However, we aren't just left in the lurch with something greater than death to fear. We are given in this passage a beautiful teaching on God's care. For example, let's have a look at 29 to 31. Aren't two sparrows, sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs on your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. One thing I personally love to do is go camping. I like to take my little tinny out, go to the lee side of Bribey Island, and especially on a, in winter, get a good fire started, and there's nothing better than that. And as you're getting warm by the fire, I usually lie down and look at the night sky, and you, you see all the stars and the galaxies. You see all that, and it's just phenomenal. But as you begin to contemplate how vast and how amazing everything is, you start to realize just how small you are. You know, we are but a speck on this planet, which is but a speck in the universe. And when you start seeing how large everything is, you can start thinking to yourself, oh, shucks, am I actually important? Do I actually have any value? I'm so small, so minute. Is there anything worth a value in me? And here we see what God thinks. You see, even a sparrow, a tiny little bird, is known and matters to God. And not one dies without God's consent. Now, this care is extended to us who call Christ their Lord. God, our Father, cares so much for us that he even knows how many hairs are on our head. He knows us that intimately. And this brings us to the third mention, not the fear. Because we are known by our Heavenly Father, because he knows us intimately and lovingly, we should not fear, for we are more valuable than many sparrows. Now that we are followers of Jesus, we have been adopted into God's family. And we are now children of the living God. And look, 
As humans, our natural predisposition is to fear, isn't it? We fear the unknowns, we fear what people think of us, we fear getting into trouble. But here, Jesus' words of encouragement are aimed to us, people who fear. You see, he doesn't say that he will lead us away from persecution, but rather that through persecution, he will be with us. So when we fear what someone at work might think about the gospel when we share it, when we fear what someone on the street might say when we present the good news to them, when we fear what our friends and society might think or say about our faith, Jesus reminds us to have an eternal perspective. We have a God in heaven who cares for us and knows us intimately. Now, following on from this point, Jesus reminds his disciples and us of the division that will occur due to following him. But despite the division that will occur, there will still be those who receive the good news of Christ. There will be reception after division. And this is our second point for tonight. Now, division doesn't sound like a very exciting promise, does it? But Jesus is warning his disciples and us of the effects of the gospel. You see, the message of Jesus is divisive. And this becomes clear in verses 34 to 36. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be members of his household. You know, we can understand government and society persecuting Christians for their faith, but when it comes to family, Jesus' words appear shocking to us and possibly even distant for many of us here today. But the reality is, is that many people who convert to Christianity find persecution from amongst those they love in life, amongst their family. In Australia, that might be persecution in the form of slander or hatred. But in other contexts, the persecution can be so great that involves the family killing them. But whatever the context might bring, following Jesus will bring its fair share of division. But in the face of such division, and in the face of such persecution, our true love will be challenged. And in some of the most in-your-face passages in the Bible, we see what Jesus really demands from his followers. Look with me at verses 37 to 39. The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it, and anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. You see, Jesus is telling his followers, his wannabe followers, and all of us here today of the true cost of following Jesus. Not only will you have to love Jesus more than your family, but you must love Jesus more than your very life. If we aren't willing to lose everything in this life for the sake of the gospel, for the, for the sake of Jesus, then we must be prepared to not be count, counted worthy of him. He could have just said this, it will cost you everything. Are you willing? And look, 
if we, uh, if we are living in a, uh, sorry, if we are living how Jesus commands us to live, division will be inevitable. Division from parents and siblings, from grandparents, aunties, uncles, whatever it is, will find division. And, and the reasons? Well, maybe it's because you prioritize going to, uh, giving to your local church and missions rather than focusing on a down payment on a house. Maybe it's because you prioritize uh, fellowship on a Sunday with believers rather than hanging out with, uh, with workmates or mates from university. Maybe it's because you won't compromise on your morals and that can be really inconvenient for those around you. Or maybe it's because instead of choosing a, a high-flying, successful job or career, you chose to work for a Christian ministry or a charity which your family views as a waste of your skills and a waste of your life. Whatever it is, we can be sure that if we follow after Jesus, the vision will come. But if we carry the cross that we're given in this life, and if we are willing to give up everything, even our lives for Jesus, we will truly find life and life eternal. Now, it's here in our text today that we see a shift from the disciples who are going out to those they're going out to. And we see the rewards that are due to those who receive Jesus' followers. Uh, look with me at verse 40 42. And the one who welcomes you welcomes me. And the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. Anyone who welcomes a prophet will receive, uh, sorry, anyone who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he's righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a disciple, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. You see, one thing that is crystal clear from this text is who is being received. You see, it's not only the disciples who are being welcomed, but it was Jesus as well. And it wasn't just Jesus who was being welcomed, but it was his father as well. And even the smallest gesture of care, a cup of water, is deserving of reward. See, while the major thrust of the passage has been about the negative ways in which sharing the gospel will be met with resistance and persecution and division, we see here that there are those, there will be some who receive the good news. There'll be some who receive in the message of Christ, even though it might cost them everything. Now, as we work through a passage like this, and sorry, as we work through this, this passage, we can see the hard words of Jesus for us today, and we can be easily discouraged, especially when sentiment towards Christianity in the West and Australia seems to be souring a little bit. However, the comfort we find within this passage is intended for us to hold fast to Jesus, even when all else fails. We see that the one who is confronted for their faith the one who shares the good news will be given words to say. We see that we have a heavenly father who cares for us and loves us intimately. And we see that anyone who is willing to lose everything in this life, including their own life, will find life and life eternal. And it's passages like this that give us an eternal perspective. While there might be hostility and persecution that accompanies the witness of the gospel, 
or our faith in general, we know that the prize lies not in this world, but in our eternity with our loving Saviour. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. However, this is not meant to minimise the pain that's caused by persecution. It's not meant to minimise the pain that we might face when we go share the gospel. It's not like Jesus is saying, suck it up, princess, it's going to get better soon, you'll be right. No, not at all. In this passage, we have seen God's great care for his children. He even knows how many heads, hairs are on our heads. And if we needed any more evidence of this, all we need to do is look at the cross. Jesus, God in the flesh, came down to earth he created and dwelt with his people. Not only that, but he was, meet, he was beaten, mocked, spat on, tortured, and crucified on a Roman cross. But he was resurrected from the dead. And he ascended to heaven and now reigns victorious. And because of this, we, we have a high priest in heaven who sympathizes with our weaknesses. You see, we don't have a God who just flung the world into order and is just sitting back with the feet up, just watching it all go to mush. No, we have a God who cares. We have a God who dwelt with these people and who suffered for his people. We have a God who overcame death, and if we put our trust in him, then we too can share in his victory. Therefore, when we face persecution for our faith, when we face persecution for sharing the good news of Jesus to others, when we are despised by friends and colleagues, loved ones and the like, we should stand firm in the promises of God. Remembering that even though persecution will come, we can find comfort in our loving Saviour. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this passage and we thank you for the great comforts we can find through it. Lord, you're, you're a God who, who cares for us, a God who came to this world to suffer for his people. And we thank you for the joy that it is to be considered your child. We just pray, Lord God, as we go through our weeks, that we may be bold to proclaim the gospel to others, that we may share it knowing the comforts that we have through passages like this. Give us boldness to see those who don't know you come to know you more. We thank you for these things in Christ's name. Amen.